our first Bible reading is from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 9. Um, the Psalms are poems, and this poem um, uses different words to express the same concept, and that's God's, work, God's law. So beginning at verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. You have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And the second reading is from Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, Sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. 
I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Thanks, Sally. Now, I realise I hadn't introduced myself just yet, so Paul Cooper's my name. Um, most people call me Coops, so feel free to do that. And I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. So um, let me add my welcome to Epi's to everyone, but if you're new or you're visiting to this morning, really a uh, warm welcome to you. It's great to have you all here this morning. Let's pray as we, uh, as we dig into Romans 7. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new morning and for gathering us here around your word, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, I thought I'd start this morning and share a recent experience that I had. And uh, I wondered if you had uh, similar experiences in your lives. Um, have you ever been travelling in a car, maybe as a passenger like I was, and you knew you're going way too quick, but you, couldn't, you didn't know exactly how fast you were going? Have you ever been in that sort of situation? Happened to me um, not very long ago and, you know, the real seriousness of, of speeding, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't really know it until I'd sort of seen uh, how fast we were going. Well, the story goes, I'd caught a lift with this bloke that I'd just met, a nice guy, and um, we got talking on, you know, on the drive, we got talking, as you do, about his car. He had a not very uh, old car, it's quite new, and it was a nice car, so we're talking about it. And as we're driving along, we came into a 50k an hour zone and... Uh, as we crossed the sign that said 50 k's now, I heard the engine rev really hard. I had no idea this was about to happen. And the guy would like floored it. And I sort of got pushed back into my seat. And I was looking around and thought we must have been being chased or something. But there was no one else on the road. And um, in those sort of few seconds, like I knew we were going way, way too quick. And I knew he was breaking the law way quicker than 50 k's an hour. But it wasn't until I sort of leant over and I had a bit of a look at the speedo that I could see exactly how much he was breaking the law by. We were doing 140. So, like, I knew we were going quick. But it was only then when I looked at the speedo that I realised, you know, just how seriously quick we were going. 
you know, at 140, that's pretty easy to die or worse, you know, kill someone else. So I, I mentioned to the driver, you know, words to the effect of, do you think we're going a tad fast? And actually, it wasn't quite like that, but that was the intent. And, uh, and we slowed down to the speed limit and, you know, I let that, started breathing again. The point is, you know, I knew we were going too fast. But it wasn't until I saw the speedo that I understood it. Do you know what I mean? Like I really felt the weight of it and uh, understood exactly what was happening. And in, in Romans 7, it's a tricky passage, but the Apostle Paul, he explains something. It's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like that. He shows in this chapter how the law, this is the law that God gave to Moses for his people, how the law makes sin really clear. And sin existed well before Moses or God gave Moses the law, didn't it? That's the problem the human race has suffered ever since Adam and Eve. But the law makes it very, very clear, makes sin very clear. Shows exactly what it is and shows how severe it is. So it's like me looking at that speedo. I knew something was wrong, but 140 k's an hour told me just how severely wrong it was. And so this law, it shows up this human problem of sin and all of the consequences that go with that. And it's in contrast to that, that we see just this wonder of God's solution through Jesus. We just see the clarity of that. The law shows the problem of sin. And in contrast to that, we see God's solution very clearly. So the first point as we get going this morning looking at this chapter is released from the law through Jesus. That's the first point. Released from the law through Jesus. Now, as you've just heard um, Sally reading chapter 7, the beginning described marriage, didn't it? And in this, in this case, it was the legal obligation of a wife to her husband. But the point made in the beginning there is it's only while he lives. If he dies, well, the wife's released from that obligation and she can enter into a new relationship. Death breaks that relationship. And in a similar way, Jesus' death releases the believer from their relationship with the law. That's the parallel that's been made there. Jesus' death releases the believer from their relationship with the law and brings them into a new relationship with him. And we need it. And we need it. The law shows God's character, shows his holiness. He really is wonderful, our God. He is perfect. And the law shows that. It shows what he's like and it shows his intention for the world. If you think through the commandments, don't lie, don't cheat, don't covet and so on. Like imagine a world exactly like that. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? A world like that. And that's God's intention for his people. That's this picture that's held out through the law. But humans are so not perfect they ignore God, and so they don't, meet this, they don't meet this wonderful standard that's held out and demonstrated by God, and the law shows that up. The law shows that up, and it condemns them. But thankfully, Jesus releases the believer from that through his own death, and that's what verse 4 says here. Verse 4 says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, 
in order that we might bear fruit for God. So Jesus died to bring forgiveness for breaking the law, for sin, to everyone who believes. And when God looks at the believer, what he sees is a forgiven person. That's what he sees. He sees them as having died with Jesus. So the law doesn't have any power over them anymore. You can't condemn people who are forgiven. You can't condemn people who are forgiven. They, they have this new relationship with Jesus and they're released from the power of the law. They've died to the law so they can bear fruit for God. And it's worth noting at this point, when this passage says released, it means not condemned by the law anymore. It doesn't mean that the law is not useful or that we throw it out. Released from the law, but still useful because the law shows God's character, as I said earlier, and his intention for the world. So it contains this wonderful wisdom and this guidance, but it doesn't have any power anymore over those who are in Jesus. But it is still good. It is still good. And that brings us to our second point, the goodness of the law. Now in verse 5, the Apostle Paul who, who wrote this letter, he points out that before being saved through Jesus, or in other words, being in the realm of the flesh, the law, it stirred up sin and sin leads to death. It stirs up sin and sin leads to death. And so he asks this obvious question in verse 7 if the law stirs up sin and sin leads to death well does that mean that the law is sinful if it leads to death and condemnation is the law sinful well no no it doesn't and here the apostle paul he puts himself in the position of somebody who's under the law before jesus as he says this in verse 7 i would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So, so the law is not what's sinful. What the law does is bring knowledge of sin. It brings a knowledge of sin, an understanding of sin. And Paul's not saying here that without the law, there's no understanding of sin. So if you remember, we did it way back, but chapter 1 in Romans He's already said everybody has an understanding of what sin is. What he means is the law, it defines sin. It shows what sin is exactly. It gives it a label. right? Like me in that speeding car. I knew we were going too fast and doing something wrong. But the speedo defined it exactly, 90 kilometers an hour too fast. And the law's like that for sin. And so Paul here, he quotes the 10th commandment, do not covet, which is to desire. And a good commandment to quote, because that inner attitude of desire is the beginning of so much sin, isn't it? And when God states that as a command, then we see very clearly the deliberate disobedience. The law shows that very clearly. But he goes on in verse 8 to say, actually, it does even more than that. The law does more than that. It produces more sin. In verse 8, he says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart, the, from, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So how does that work? 
How is it that the law produces more sin? Like in a way, it's like, um, that's a good example for today actually with the rain. It's like telling your kids not to jump in puddles. If you tell your kids not to jump in the puddle, what do they do? Jump in the puddle. In a way, it's like that. In another way though, the law brings out human rebellion. Like as I said at the beginning, the law shows us God's character, shows his intention for his creation, shows how things are meant to work. But if that's taken just as a series of commands, well, a person might see that as taking freedom away instead of giving freedom. And then it might bring out resentment and rebellion. And in that way, the law does cause sin to show itself even more. And that's what Paul means here in, uh, in verse 8. Apart from the law, sin was dead. And as I said, it's not that the law, the sin didn't exist before the law. It did, but it, it provokes that rebellious human nature against its creator, brings sin out more powerfully. So I hope from these collection of verses you can see it's not that the law is sinful. The law is holy and righteous and good. Just as verse 12 here says, it must be, reflects God's character. The problem's not the law. The law's from God and it's good. The problem actually is the human condition. That's what God's good law reveals, the human condition. And that brings us to our third point this morning. The law shows the human condition. Now, to understand the last half of these verses that was read to us, we need to decide when Paul says, I, who is he referring to when he says, I? Is he referring to himself as a Christian, which, of course, he was when he wrote this letter, or does he mean something else? Well, in verse 14, he says, he describes being sold as a slave to sin here in verse 14, sold as a slave to sin. And then in verse 23, he describes being a prisoner of the law. Well, as I said, when Paul wrote this letter, he was a Christian. And a Christian is no longer a slave to sin. A Christian's no longer a prisoner to the law. And so here, Paul is still describing the experience of those who lived under the law before the arrival of Jesus, like he himself once did. So when he says, I, in in these passages, he's identifying with that experience. He's describing what it was like to live under the law. And what he shows is that living under the law means there is this battle that's going on. You know, and one that would be lost without help. And he describes this battle in verse 15 or from verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do for I want to do what I do not do, but I hate what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Okay, is that clear to everyone? (laughs) There's a lot of do's in there. So this is this battle he's describing, right? He knows the law is right. He knows right and wrong in his head, but he still doesn't do what's right. And he hates it. And I reckon we all know what Paul means here. Like how often... Do we or people we know say that, you know, I really shouldn't have spoken to him the way I did. I really, I know I shouldn't have, but he had it coming. I knew it was wrong, but did it anyway. Or 
someone says, look, I just told a white lie. I know I shouldn't have done that. But it just made things so much easier just to sort of gloss over this situation. So I know I shouldn't have done it. Like, I just did it. Or people might say, you know, I know I shouldn't have claimed that tax deduction, but everyone does it. I know, I, sh- I know it's wrong, but I did it anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's approaching the sort of thing that Paul's talking about here. And by not liking what they actually do, or at least acknowledging that it's not right, it actually shows that they know that the law is good. And so what conclusion do we draw from that? the law is good then it can only mean that this human condition is not and verse 18 points that out where paul says for i know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature for i have the desire to do what is good but i cannot carry it out this human condition is a sinful one and the law can only ever point that out it can't fix it. And so Paul writes here in verse 22 to 23, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. See, the law is good. Don't lie. Don't murder. Don't cover. They're good things. We all agree they are good things. Everyone knows that deep down. But even here, a Jewish person delighting in the law, seeing its rightness, seeing its goodness, it's not possible to live it out. And so left on its own, sin wins that war. And what happens when you lose a war? Become a prisoner. And that's what Paul's describing here. The law is good, but the human condition It just uses it and shows how broken the human condition is and how trapped the person is without Jesus. And Paul, he puts that into words. He puts that feeling into words when he says, what a wretched man I am. Imperfect man, knowing what's right, but not able to meet it. Knowing what's right, but not able to do it. Knowing what's right, but deep down, feeling that guilt and that frustration. Just a wretched man. And so thanks be to God, who says, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What the law shows is this deep, deep need for Jesus. The law can't change that human condition. But Jesus can. Like I said at the beginning, when God looks at the believer, what he sees is a forgiven person. He sees them as having died with Jesus. And forgiven people have nothing to be condemned for. So the law has no power over them anymore. They've entered a new relationship, one with Jesus. And that is the only thing that can free a prisoner from sin. You may be here today and you may not have a relationship yet with Jesus. And so this may be all confusing. God's law handed down to Moses centuries ago. What's that got to do with us? But it is actually still relevant. Everybody lives their life 
by some sort of code or some sort of standard, and I bet you do too. It might be stand by your word, never break a promise, always stand by your mates, always be there for your family. Whatever it is, everyone has some sort of code that they live by, some sort of standard. And so do we live up to our own standards? So if we're honest with ourselves, we don't. Not always. Now, if we can't even live up to our own standards, how could we live up to God's? And so we all need Jesus and we all need his forgiveness. And he wants to give it to you. He does. He wants to give it to you. Now, if that makes some sort of sense, then I've got something I'd like to give to you. I've got these booklets called Set Free, and I've got a stack of them here this morning. And if you come and grab me afterwards, come and grab one. It tells you more about how Jesus releases a prisoner from sin. Or uh, grab me for a coffee, and I'll be happy to sit down and talk it through as well. And for those who are here today, and they do know Jesus, and they have been freed from sin... Even though this chapter's been talking about Jewish law, it's also still relevant for us. If we feel that we're not good enough for God, if you get those feelings of guilt for not being up to his standard, it's like putting ourselves back into that situation where Paul expressed such frustration when he wrote, wretched man that I am. It's like putting ourselves back there. And the fact is we're not up to God's standard. So thanks be to God that it isn't about us at all. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not about me. It's about what Jesus did for me on the cross. And when God looks at those who believe and trust what Jesus did, what he sees is a forgiven person. He sees us having died with Jesus brought to this new relationship with him and forgiven people can't be condemned for anything. They have nothing to feel guilt or inadequacy about. They're forgiven, set free to live for Jesus. That's what the relationship with Jesus does. And he was raised to eternal life. And I know you know that he was raised to eternal life. It means this is a relationship that can never change. So let's pray and thank God who delivers us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your good law, which tells us so much about you and your intention for your world. Father, we uh, thank you. It tells us so much about the human condition and points to this very deep need that we have for you to solve something that we can't solve ourselves. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to free us from the law, to bring forgiveness. We pray that many would come to know him and be brought back to you. And Father, please help us who do know Jesus to remember he died to free us from law and rule keeping. Father, help us to look to him and not ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.